Good morning. I feel good. My voice is strong. Buckle up. Amen. Hey, I want to encourage you to come out this Wednesday night as we are, as I mentioned a couple of services ago, we're coming up on a series of laughs here at this church and where we've been meeting for the last five years. We'll be having our last Christmas service here, our last uh, Christmas Eve service, obviously, and New Year's Eve. And uh, we want to come together this Wednesday and focus on prayer for where the Lord is going to take us. We know he is in control. He is in charge. He has a plan. And we want to know what that is. So uh, let's come together and pray. And also make sure you put on your calendar our New Year's Eve service as we're going to be revealing our word for 2020. And uh, it's another dandy. And I know you'll be blessed and encouraged by it. So you ready this morning? Here we go. Acts chapter 22. We'll look at 22 through verse 23 or chapter 23, verse 5. Now, we've commented in time past that God in his sovereignty and in his providence has brought us to places in his word that were very appropriate for things going on in the world or in our own country. And we've also noted how many times our Wednesday texts and our Sunday texts with all the pauses and stops and starts were consistent with one another as God was wanting to drive something home in our hearts and minds. And I have to say, our text this morning would certainly fit within those categories, but I almost, or I almost, I must also add that our text is rather timely this morning. And even beyond timely, I believe it is necessary as we discuss things this morning as we go that are relevant to our day and lives as Christians. Now, at this point, Paul has transitioned into the final phase of his life and ministry. Now, he's not in the final phase of life because of his age. He is in the final phase of life because of the age in which he is living and the circumstances he was ministering in. He's now in Roman custody, which he will spend for the duration of his time on earth. And in that state, he will continue both to travel and to minister, and he will do so in chains. Now, in Philippians 1, 12 and 14, we're told, I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in who? In Christ and most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now, Paul mentions his chains. He mentions that those chains are in Christ and how he has handled his imprisonment has helped the confidence of others who have become more bold to speak the word of God. And Paul's chains actually were resulting in the furtherance of the gospel. And the things that happen to Paul will help us um, consider those things in a help to us as well and hopefully increase our boldness. Now, as I was studying this past week, I was thinking of a time where I was invited uh, to a meeting actually that was being held and sponsored by Roy Disney's granddaughter. And it was up in the Club 44 up at Disneyland. And I thought, well... Hey, I'll go to the meeting. It'll get us into Disneyland, too. So we went and attended the meeting. And uh, unbeknownst to me, the room was filled with conscientious objectors. 
who did not believe that Christians had a right to defend themselves under any circumstance. And their argument was, Jesus let people kill him, so we should let people kill us. We never have the right to defend ourselves ever or under any circumstances. Well, they invited the wrong guy. I disagreed and found out quickly that this group had forgotten that the tongue is a weapon too. And they were using it against me to slice and dice me for saying we have a right to defend ourselves. Now their point was rather curiously that they were arguing from the position of the sanctity of life. They threw that phrase out there. My response was, what about our lives? Isn't there sanctity of life concerning our life? And one man, a pastor, looked at me very angrily, and I would go as far to say with hate and disgust in his eyes, and he simply said this, Jesus died, and it was then that I realized that I was not uh, wise in speaking up at this time. I should have remained silent, because this guy seemed to be ignorant of the fact that Jesus died for the sins of the world, and my death wasn't going to save anybody. And as a matter of fact, I told the organizer of the event, the male counterpart to uh, Roy Disney's granddaughter, I told him afterwards, listen, you have to realize there's a difference in dying for your wallet and dying for your witness, to which I received a blank stare. (laughs) Now, here's the thing. Paul used his Roman citizenship to his advantage and for the purpose of protecting and preserving his own life. Now... This message is not about gun rights, it's not about gun control, and it's not sponsored by the NRA. Now, that's not our subject at all this morning. What our subject and topic is, however, is revealed in our title, and here it is. You ready? Citizens of Heaven Living on Earth. Our title and topic this morning is Citizens of Heaven Living on Earth. Now, the church has been persecuted since its inception. Persecution began where the church was born in Jerusalem, and it has spread out through the world and in the uh, centuries that followed its birth. And what happened to Christians in Paul's, Paul's day is happening to Christians in our day in new places and times where people were formally respectful in the past. They are no longer respectful of Christianity in the present. And we need to know how to handle persecution. Are you here this morning? We need to know how to handle religious and governmental persecutions that are coming our way. Now, back to Philippi, Paul said in Philippians three seventeen to 21, brethren, Join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things for our citizenship is where? In heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed into his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Man, that glorious body sounded pretty good right about now. Now, Paul reminds the saints at Philippi that while they are citizens of heaven, they are living on earth in the midst of enemies of the cross. He also reminds us that part of how we deal with what is, is that we remember what will be. 
Someday these lowly bodies will be conformed to a glorious Christ-likeness that we're going to have and enjoy forever. Now, in the meantime, there are going to be times where we need to follow the example set by Paul to keep himself from getting killed by an angry mob. So let's glean some wisdom as to how to live as citizens of heaven here on the earth until the Lord comes to get us. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Stand and read with me, please, from Acts chapter 22. We'll open with verses 22 through 30. Acts 22. And they listened to him until this word, and then raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. Then as they cried out and tore off their clothes and threw dust into the air, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks and said that he should be examined under scourging so that he might know why they shouted so against him. And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said to the centurion who stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? When the centurion heard that, he went and told the commander, saying, Take care what you do, for this man is a Roman. Then the commander came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman? He said, Yes. The commander answered, With a large sum I obtained this citizenship. But Paul said, I was born a citizen. Then immediately those who were about to examine him withdrew from him, and the commander was also afraid after he found out that he was a Roman and because he had bound him. The next day, because he wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews, he released him from his bonds and commanded the chief priests and all their councils to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. Then we'll add some of the opening verses of 23 when we get there. And Father, we are grateful this morning for our time and opportunity to gain some clarity on this much debated issue. And Lord, we look not for human opinion. We look for the counsel of the word of God. So speak to us this morning on this very, very debated subject. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, our three points, as we usually have on a Sunday and Wednesday, are going to come in two categories. First, we're going to find a point of recognition, and that will be followed by two words of instruction. Now, our point of recognition comes from verses 22 and the first portion of verse 24, where we're told that they listened to him until this word. The word was that he was to depart from the Jews and go to the Gentiles. And we're told when they heard this, they cried out and raised their voices and said, away with him or away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. Now, we mentioned last week that it's rather stunning that they listened to him and all that he had to say about his encounter with Jesus on the Damascus road. They wouldn't have argued about his persecution of the church. And they listened to his reported exchange between he and Jesus, even when he referred to Jesus as Lord. But as soon as Paul mentioned that the Lord was sending him to the Gentiles, they exploded in anger and called for his death. Now in Isaiah 11:10, we're told, and in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people. For the, who? 
Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place will be glorious. The prophet Amos says this in 9, 11, and 12. On that day, I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down and repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the Gentiles who are what? Called by my name, says the Lord, who does this thing. Then the Italian prophet Malachi says this in 111. From the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. And every place incense shall be offered to my name and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the goyim. The nation says the Lord of hosts. Now, the point is this. There was ample evidence in the Old Testament to validate Paul saying the Lord was sending him, a Jew, to the Gentiles. This wasn't some extra biblical revelation that contradicted or conflicted with the word of God. He was doing exactly what the Bible said that someone was going to do someday. And that is when the root of Jesse, meaning one from the lineage of David, came into the world, Jew and Gentile alike would make his name great and call his name great among the nations. Now, Not only did the crowd cry out that Paul was not fit to live, but they also tore their clothes in outrage. And this reaction causes Claudius Lysias to order for Paul to be brought back into the barracks for his own safety. Now, leaning ahead a little bit into our next chapter, which we won't get to until next year. But in 23, 6 to 10, we're told when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out to the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided, for the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, there are no angels or spirit. But the Pharisees confessed both. Then there was a loud outcry, And the scribes of the Pharisees' party arose and protested, saying, We find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. Now, when there arose a great dissension, the commander, fearing lest Paul might be pulled to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and bring him where? Into the barracks. Now, Paul says the Lord Lord sent him to the Gentiles, like the Bible said, would happen. And the crowd gets so unruly, he is brought into the barracks for his own protection. Paul mentions the resurrection from the dead. And then the Pharisees and Sadducees begin fighting against one another. And the crowd gets so unruly, he has to be brought into the barracks again for his own protection. Now, here's our point of recognition before we uncover our two instructions this morning. Listen, here's something we need to realize today. Honoring God's word will be an offense to those who don't. Honoring God's word will be an offense to those who don't. Now, we are without question living in the last days. Jesus is coming soon, apparently. Now, one significant part of the proof that we are living in the last days comes from the same thing that was true in Jesus and later Paul's day. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 44, in the heart of the Olivet Discourse, therefore you also be what? Ready. Why? For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And Peter would add this in 2 Peter 3, 1 to 4. 
Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment to us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come when? In the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep or died, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Now, Jesus said, say Jesus said, Jesus said he's coming back at a time when expectancy of his return is low or nil. Peter said that time would be marked with scoffers, meaning mockers. And this is going to be prevalent in the last days, questioning the Lord's return, saying, you know what? It's been so long since he came the first time. It's obvious he's not coming back. They'll deny the importance of prophecy. They deny the doctrine of the rapture. They deny the inherency of scripture. And all of this is happening today and is dominant even in the so-called church. Now, the world also mocks what we believe to the degree that we are called by many as bigots and haters. There's an article this past week that said, and I quote, recently one million moms received concerns about Hallmark Channel airing a commercial from Zola.com in which two lesbians are shown kissing at the end of their wedding ceremony. The post reads, Similar concerns from regular viewers are posted on an online complaint board for the Hallmark Channel. The group, whose parent organization, the American Family Association, has been named as a what? A hate group by the Southern Poverty Law Center for its work, combating the homosexual agenda. Quoted remarks from viewers who said that they were, quote, fed up with having the gay agenda crammed down their throats, end quote, while watching a movie with their daughters. Listen, we should be fed up with what's being crammed down our throats today about abortion rights, the gay agenda, and every other anti-biblical position that is being forced upon us. We should be fed up and we should take a stand. And listen, Paul is under attack by those who should have known better, by those who knew the word of God. Remember, to be a Pharisee, you had to have the first five books of the Pentateuch of the Old Testament memorized, and you had to be able to quote any passage on demand by a passing rabbi. These people read the word of God, they memorized the word of God, and yet they were ignorant of the word of God and what it said about God's will to save the Gentiles. We are under the same kind of assault today, and thus we need to know how to handle these personal assaults biblically as citizens of heaven living on earth. Now, let's read one more time from 24 to 29, and we'll find our first word of instruction as to how we are to handle this. The commander ordered him, Paul, to be brought into the barracks and that he should be examined under scourging so that he might know why they shouted so against him. And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said to the centurion who stood by, is it lawful you to, for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? In other words, hasn't even had a trial and been found guilty? When the centurion heard that, he went and told the commander, saying, Take care of what you do, for this man's a Roman. Then the commander came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman? He said, Yes. Then the commander answered, With a large sum I obtained this citizenship. And Paul said, I was born a citizen. Gotcha. I don't know if that's what he meant, but I'm putting that in there. Then immediately those who were about to examine him withdrew from him, and the commander was also afraid 
after he found out that he was a Roman and because he had what? He bound him. Now, Paul teaches us a very valuable lesson here that we're going to package as a point in a moment. Yet we note that Claudius is determined to find out what it was that Paul said that caused the crowd to respond so angrily and violently. And the method he would choose to employ was scourging. He'd heard Paul speak to him in Greek as he requested the opportunity to speak to the crazed mob. Claudius Lysias granted him permission. He then begins to address the crowd in Aramaic. And Claudius is ignorant of the Aramaic language. Obviously, he had no idea what it was that Paul said that made the crowd so angry. So he's watching this crowd listen in silence and get even more silent as we studied last week when Paul began to speak in Aramaic. And then all of a sudden, this quiet crowd erupts into a violent rage and Claudius has no clue what actually happened. Claudius has no clue what actually happened. Now, why Claudius simply didn't ask Paul what he said, we don't know. That he was determined to beat the answer out of him, that we do know. But it would not be with rods, as Paul had experienced three other times. This time it would be through scourging. And a scourge was different than being beaten with rods. It was simply a whip that was embedded with pieces of metal and bone. And many died under scourging. Many others were handicapped for life because of this process. And it was the same type of beating that Jesus endured. And it was just as illegal as the beating of Jesus. Now, in Matthew 10, 16 to 20, Jesus reminded his disciples, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, wolves being symbolic of deceivers. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as as doves, but beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to who? The Gentiles. Jesus seemed to be under the impression that there was a plan for the Gentiles as well. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Somebody say amen to that this morning. Now, as Jesus prepared his disciples for what was coming, he said, don't worry about what to say in such circumstances because the Holy Spirit will give you what to say in that hour. And with that in mind, we need to recognize that the Holy Spirit is speaking through Paul and thus what Paul says and what Paul does is by the leading of the Holy Spirit. Now, they're tying his hands together with thongs or leather or strips of leather. And Paul asks a, a centurion nearby, Is what you're doing lawful? I haven't had a trial, and I'm certainly not condemned under the law. And I am a Roman. And the centurion immediately stops what he's doing, tells Claudius, be careful, this guy's a Roman citizen. Claudius asks Paul, is this true? And then he recounts his own accessing of a uh, Roman citizenship. He said, mine cost me a lot of money. And citizenship was often obtained either by a fee or more often by a bribe. And Paul says, well, actually, I was born a Roman citizen. That means that either Paul's dad or his grandfather somehow had been rewarded the right of Roman citizenship, which was normally for contributions to culture or society. Now, at this revelation, those who were about to examine Paul at the end of a whip 
withdrew and the commander was afraid because he had illegally bound Paul, a Roman citizen. Now in Acts chapter 16, 35 to 38, we're told when it was day, the magistrate sent the officer saying, let these men go or let those men go. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore, depart and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us openly, uncondemned, what? Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. And the officers told these words to the magistrate, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to get out of Dodge or depart from the city. Now, this is on the heels of Paul being beaten and imprisoned along with Silas in Philippi. They were put in stocks and were singing hymns at midnight when the earth quaked and every prisoner's chains fell off. The jailer was about to kill himself because the Romans were going to kill him for letting the prisoners escape. And Paul calls out to him, do yourself no harm. That night the man is saved, his household is saved, and they are all baptized. So listen close. In Philippi, Paul reveals his Roman citizenship after being beaten, after his imprisonment. Here, Paul reveals his Roman citizenship to avoid the scourging that had the potential to take his own life. Now, here's our point as citizens of heaven living on this portion of the earth. Listen this morning. As American Christians, we have every right to exercise our rights. As American Christians, we have every right to exercise our rights. Now, while Paul was the man the Holy Spirit inspired that uh, right to the church that our citizenship is in heaven, Paul was also the one who was led by the Holy Spirit to exercise his rights as a Roman citizen. Now, we have to remember our foundations as a nation today in the opening words of our very Declaration of Independence as well as the First Amendment to our Constitution. Now, Our Declaration of Independence opens with these words. When in the course of human events, it becomes, what's the next word? Necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitled them A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them unto or to separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and they are endowed by their what? Creator with certain unalienable rights and among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of what? Happiness. Our First Amendment to our wonderful Constitution says this, Congress shall pass no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Boy, do our people today, young people in particular, need to know about the founding of our great nation. Amen? 
our Declaration of Independence makes two references to God in the first two paragraphs. It establishes that God is our creator and that there are unalienable rights that are ours that we are or have the right to pursue. And this is established by that single fact that God has created us. And the very First Amendment restricts Congress from passing laws that infringe upon or violate those rights. That tells us that as citizens of heaven living in America, we have every right to exercise our rights, even as Paul did with his Roman citizenship. Now, on this blessed evening when I was meeting with these conscientious objectors, I happened to quote this passage from Luke chapter 22, 35 to 38, for which again I was immediately Attacked. They broke the rules of biblical interpretation, and it was from that point on that I decided to stay silent. And he, Jesus, said to them, When I sent you without money, bag, knapsack, and sandals, did you lack anything? So they said, What? Nothing. Then he said to them, But now, or from this point forward, he who has a money bag, let him take it. And likewise, a knapsack. And he who has no, what's the next word? Sword, a makaira, that was a 18 inch long sword that could be hidden up the sleeve of a toga or a robe. Let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say to you that that which is written must still be accomplished in me. And he was numbered with the transgressions for the things concerning me have an end. So they said, Lord, look, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. Now, Jesus is telling the disciples They have a right to self-defense as they travel because thieves and robbers were common in that day. And again, there's a difference in protecting the money box and dying for your witness. And there have been many martyrs throughout the ages who died for the name of Christ and for his glory. So we have the right to protect ourselves from tyranny and persecution under the laws of the United States competition. Constitution. I'm not even medicated today. I still can't talk. Now, as citizens of heaven living on earth, Christians have every right here in these United States to exercise our rights. And we need to do so in the voting booth and we need to do so in the courtroom when necessary. Now, it also matters how we do so. And this is what we'll find from 2230 to 23 verse 5. So let's read those. Pick it up in verse 30. Now, the next day. Because he wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews, he released him from his bonds and commanded the chief priests and all their council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest, Ananias, commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall, for you sit to judge me according to the law. And do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? And those who stood by said, do you revile God's high priest? Then Paul said, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now, Having abandoned his efforts to obtain answers from Paul through scourging, Claudius now commands the chief priests in the council to appear before him in hopes of getting an answer as to why there was such a radical response to what Paul said. 
Now, Paul addresses the council face to face and eye to eye and states before them that he has lived in good confidence before God. And Ananias, the high priest, orders Paul to be slapped in the face. Now, as Paul points out, this order was illegal because the Jewish law said he who strikes the cheek of one Israelite strikes, as it were, the glory of God. And it also said that he that strikes a man strikes the Holy One. Now, Ananias was a man who had a reputation for being greedy. And the historian Josephus even says that Ananias was commonly known to steal the tithes and offerings that were meant for the common priest and their daily needs and sustenance. He was also known for his pro-Roman political stances and that he was not afraid to use either violence or assassination to further his agenda. And Ananias was later killed by Jewish nationalists for his pro-Roman policies and actions. Now, Paul responds to the slap in his face in righteous indignation, and he calls out Ananias as a violator of their own law, calls him a whitewashed wall, meaning a hypocrite or a phony. Now, at the revelation of Ananias being the high priest, Paul turns to Scripture and quotes from Exodus 22:28, which says, You shall not revile God, nor curse a ruler of your people. Now, commentators are pretty equally divided as to whether or not this was a proper application of the verse given, and Ananias obviously being anti-Gentile and anti-Jehovah in that sense. He even violated his own law and was commonly known as one who was pilfering from what was meant for others. But whether this was an error or not is a matter of debate. But what we do know is that the spirit of Exodus 22.8 is recorded in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews in 13.17, where the author says, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with what? Grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Now, Paul was showing respect for God's word in front of those who abused both the word of God, the law that they themselves had written, and their positions. Now, they added to the word of God in all these restrictions and interpretations uh, that they had recorded in the Talmud. And uh, indeed, Paul was saying, you, you guys yourself said you can't strike another Jew, and yet here you are having me slapped in the face. Now, this leads to our concluding word of instruction as citizens of heaven living on earth, and it's just this. Listen this morning. Our actions are to be consistent with the word of God in every situation and circumstance. Our actions are to be consistent with the word of God in every situation and circumstance. Now, as to the debate over whether Paul's quote of Exodus 22 was appropriate or not, let's remember one thing. In Matthew 26, 59 to 65, we're told the chief priests, the elders, and all the councils sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last, two false witnesses came forward and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said to him, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But Jesus kept what? Silent. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, It is as you said. 
Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest began to applaud and cheer and said, at last he's here. No, the high priest tore his clothes saying, he has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look now, you have heard his blasphemy. Now, what we learn from Jesus is that there are... Times to be silent and times for us to speak. Now, how do we know the difference between the two? Now, note there were false witnesses brought against Jesus. And listen, he didn't say a word. He remained like a sheep before its shears. He remained silent, fulfilling scripture. But it was also something that was calculated, if you will. And it was a teachable moment for you and I. Jesus didn't answer false accusations, and that's when we are not to engage. That's when we, too, should stay silent. Proverbs says, answer a fool in his folly. And then it says in the next verse, do not answer a fool in his folly. Now, what does that mean? It means there's a time to speak and there's a time not to speak. And the times for us to be silent is when we are being addressed with false accusations. Now, The time when we are to speak is exactly when Jesus spoke in his examination and he began to answer when the question arose about his deity. And therefore, this reminds us that there is a limit to our silence. And when what we believe and who we believe in is called into question, it is time for us to speak up and we do not remain silent. Are you still here this morning? Now, in Matthew 23, 27 to 28, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of what? Hypocrisy and lawlessness. And this is a fitting description of Ananias. Now, Paul's comment to Ananias was no different from that of Jesus. And we need, we need to remember that Jesus' strongest words were toward those who abuse God's word or ignore God's word, yet claim to be the anointed and appointed of God. Now, the point is there's a difference in how we react to the ignorant and the unsaved and how we react to the spiritual abusers of our day. Now, I don't know that Paul needed to apologize. Jesus certainly didn't. But it's likely that he was trying to keep the door open during this opportunity before the council to tell them about Jesus. And we're going to see this as likely as he widely, wisely considers his audience and what he says next in our next time together in Acts. Now, I'll remind you this morning, we are not of this world. We are citizens of heaven, yet we are living in this world. And things are following the spiritual and moral digression that the Bible said was going to take place in the last days. Now, personally, in the study of Scripture, there is a point of no return that humanity is going to be uh, arriving at at some point in time. I happen to believe we are at that point right now. I believe the moral digression on the earth cannot go any lower than it currently is right now. Everything that Genesis established is being questioned today. Gender, marriage, God being the creator of all, all of these things are largely and categorically rejected by most in the world and many within the church. And the fact is when expectancy of the Lord's return is near, 
uh, or nil, rather, the Lord said, that's when I'm coming. I believe the Lord is coming for his church soon. Today would be good. Amen? Amen. Now, until then, whether that means a week, a month, a year or longer, we need to be occupied with doing the will of God and living according to the word of God in every situation and circumstance. Listen, we have every right as American Christians to exercise our rights, even as we recognize that honoring God's word is going to be an offense to those who don't. And some of them are going to be within the church, and that sadly is true today. And some of the opposition is going to be without. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is going to lead us to be silent. Other times he will lead us to speak. And whatever the case may be, both are for the purpose of the glory of God with the resulting end being the rescue of lost souls. Listen, we live in an amazing time. Things are happening that generations of scholars have been wondering how they were going to unfold. We're watching things happen, alliances being made in our world today, a moral degradation that is rampant around the world today, the denial of biblical truth that the Bible has predicted is happening all around us. And we're told when you see, by Jesus, when you see these things at their beginning, look up for your redemption is nigh. So listen, we are living in a time where persecution is growing. And we need to have some tools in order to handle the things that come at us. Listen, when somebody calls you names and when they say or accuse you of this or that, that's a time to be silent. When people bring false accusations against you, we don't need to answer false accusations for God will be our defense. But listen, when they start saying Jesus is not God, when they start saying Jesus is equal to other human creatures, when they start saying Christianity has no right to claim an exclusivity on how to access heaven, that's when we We stand up, not when we shut up. That's when we speak. We speak in defense of the name of our God. Amen. Now, that is always going to be well received by the world. No. But shouldn't we be ready? Should persecution continue to grow in this country? Shouldn't we be willing to stand in times such as these as we see things happening like I read in this uh, law group that calls this million moms who want to protect their precious little daughter's eyes and ears from being violated by things that are contrary to scripture, calling them a hate group and calling them evil and all these things. Listen, this is the day in which we live. So we need to do all to stand. We have a responsibility to the souls of this nation who are perishing without Jesus Christ. And we have the responsibility, as Proverbs 11.24 says, rescue those who are drawn towards death, hold back those stumbling to the slaughter. Then it says, if we say we did not know this, will not he who perceives the heart consider this and render to each of us according to our deeds? Listen, we have a responsibility to this country. We have a responsibility to this city. We have a responsibility to our neighbors, and that is to tell them about Jesus. Now, that's not going to give everybody the warm fuzzies. And some people are going to be angry at us for that. But that's the way it's always been in the church. So we need to stand up. We need to be bold, and we need to allow the change we read of in Paul. 
We need to recognize the persecution that Christians are enduring around the world and let their chains embolden us and remove any fear from speaking up in the name of the Lord. No one can be saved without Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by him. Listen, we're not living in Iran. Hello? And isn't it amazing that the fastest growing portion of the church in the world is in Iran, where Christianity is illegal and it is punishable by death to convert from Islam to Christianity or just to abandon Islam at all. But listen, this morning, I read an article this past week, and it was about the fact, it was giving a a list of the top 10 baby names in these United States of America and around the world. In Great Britain... The number one name for male children born there is Muhammad. Muhammad has now breached the top 10 male baby names in the United States of America. And listen, we need to understand that Islam is not just a religion. It's also a political system. They have their own law, Sharia law. And their desire is to dominate the world. After all, the the word Islam means submission. And listen, I say this for this reason. They need Jesus. They don't need us to pull out a gun and kill them. They need Jesus who died for them that they might be saved too. And we cannot keep silent. We have to stand up and speak the word of God. Now, if somebody wants to assault us and take our wallet, we have every right to stand up and defend ourselves. And we have the right to declare our citizenship in these United States of America to preserve our own life and protect ourselves from all manner of evil. And listen, we need to be bold in these last days. We need to be speaking up and speak the truth in love. Somebody say, Amen. Amen. I better stop before I get excited. Pray with me, please. Father, we are grateful this morning for your matchless word. Thank you for this accounting of Paul and others where we read where he used his citizenship to his advantage. And Lord, may we also understand that sometimes our chains lead to boldness in others. Sometimes we're going to endure more than we would like to physically, emotionally, and uh, come under attack of the adversary. And sometimes after the attack, we declare our citizenship. And sometimes to avoid the attack, we declare our citizenship. So Lord, we ask you for discernment in dealing with these things. But Lord, we recognize from your son, our Savior himself, that when questions about the deity of Christ arise, it is always the right time to speak up and declare his greatness and the fact that he is incomparable by any other religious leader that's ever lived. So Lord, help us in these last days to be emboldened by the chains of Paul and not live in fear. And to remember what you told Timothy, that you have not given us the spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. And Lord, may we today go to the world in obedience to your commission and tell others about Jesus and preach the gospel to every creature. And Lord, thank you for reminding us it won't always be warmly received, but it is the only means by which anyone can be saved. So help us as you were, Lord, to be about your Father's business. And as John eight twenty nine says, you always and only do what pleases the Father. May that be our life goal and aspiration as well. We thank you for our time together. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.